In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, inshallah, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register or for more info. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Inshallah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Asiratun Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography We've been discussing and talking about the conquest of Makkah, Fathu Makkah One of the most uh, monumental events of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam We've talked about it from a number of different angles uh, obviously, we've talked about what led to this particular event, how things unfolded, and what we've been talking about so far is some of the uh, interactions and some of the different things that occurred uh, after the Prophet ﷺ's arrival within the city of Mecca. We're going to be somewhat continuing with that theme today, but departing from Mecca uh, for just a moment after the conquest of Mecca had occurred and the Prophet ﷺ had secured the city of Mecca, at that particular time there was a little bit of a threat that was facing uh, you know, the Muslims at that time from some of the surrounding areas of Mecca. Of course, one of the major threats that would present itself, that would pose itself, would be from the uh, side of Hunayn, where the Battle of Hunayn would take place, that inshallah we're going to be talking about very soon. However, prior to that, there was um, Banu Jadima, who were another tribe or another uh, you know, subset, sub-tribe from the people of Kinana, they had basically risen up and there were some reports about them becoming hostile and even contemplating an attack against Mecca and a raid against the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ, this is mentioned in a number of the different books of Sirah and the books of Hadith like Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham and others, that the Prophet ﷺ, to deal with this particular potential threat, the Prophet ﷺ sent Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu in that particular direction, and he attached with them some of the other tribes that had basically joined in with the Muslims at that time, such as uh, Sulaim bin Mansur, Mudlij, um, and others, and they proceeded on in the direction of Banu Jadima, this particular sub-tribe. When they arrived there, when they reached there, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who he informed them at this time that, look, we're here, um, you know, there's really no point in trying to put up a fight. Uh, and there, this isn't going to go well for you if you do pursue uh, the route of, you know, combat. So he basically told them that you need to surrender and lay down your weapons. At that particular time, some of the people of Banu Jadima, these people, they resisted. And they said that, 
uh, we're not going to put down our weapons um, because they said ما بعد وضع السلاح إلا الإسار وما بعد الإسار إلا ضرب العناق والله لا أضع سلاحي أبدا some of the leaders of that tribe, they basically, uh, one person in particular, he was called Jahdam. He said that, no, we're not going to lay down our weapons. We're not going to surrender. Because if we surrender, then we will be captured. We'll be taken as prisoners. And if we're taken as prisoners, the only, if we, if we resist furthermore, then we would be basically risking, you know, being even executed. So they said that we're not going to lay down our weapons and we'll put up a fight. His own people, Jahdam's own people, other leaders from Banu Jadima, they basically approached him and they said, Ya Jahdam, Waylakum, Ya Jahdam, Aturidu Antasfika Dima'ana. He said that, O oh Jahdam, they said, O oh Jahdam, do you want us to be slaughtered in the battlefield? I mean, we just can't match their numbers and their strength. There's no point in putting up a fight here. Inna nasaqad aslamu wa wudi'atil harbu wa amina nasu. They said, Look what happened in Mecca. In Mecca, people, they surrendered. Many of the people even accepted Islam. There was no battle, there was no fighting, there was no warfare. And the people are safe and secure. So, فَلَمْ يَزَالُوا بِهِ حَتَّى نَزَعُوا سِلَاحَهُ وَضَعَ الْقَوْمُ سِلَاحَهُمْ لِقَوْلِ خَالِدٍ And they kept on persisting with him until he finally surrendered. And he said, okay, we'll surrender to Khalid and the forces. And they surrendered, they laid down their weapons and they said, okay, we're, 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 we're at your mercy. Now, there are a couple of different um, reports here. Um, and one of the reports actually does mention something very peculiar, very interesting. Um, and what it basically mentions is that Imam Ahmad actually mentions this in his Musnad, in a narration, that when they laid down their weapons, uh, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu basically told them, he said, look, Here's Islam and here's your opportunity to accept Islam. And the narration mentions that they weren't familiar with some of the verbiage. Aslamna, we have accepted Islam. They weren't familiar with that verbiage. So they started saying things like sabatna, sabatna. Now, this word sabaa is a very interesting word. The word sabaa literally means to kind of, uh, it means to forsake one's tradition, to depart from one's tradition. And the reason why it was a bit confusing was that if you take it literally, somebody who used to worship idols says sabatu, he's saying that I have left the old tradition, which means I am embracing this new religion. But at the same time, in Mecca, when the Prophet ﷺ had first started preaching his message 20 years ago, and the early Muslims when they accepted Islam, many of the Meccans would refer to them as as-sabi'un. They would call them uh, sabau, that they would say that sabatum, qad sabatum. You people have forsaken your tradition by embracing Islam. So you kind of see how it's a confusing, you know, word that it, it could be used both ways. And so people started think, saying things like sabatna, sabatna. Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu not understanding exactly what they were saying and being kind of taken aback by it. Are they are they saying that they don't accept Islam? Are they mocking the Muslims? Are they speaking ill of the Prophet Like what exactly are they? Because the word sab, sabi had basically become known as kind of a curse word that they would say, that the Meccans used to say towards the Prophet and the Muslims. So because of this ensuing confusion, Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu ordered uh, them being uh, taken as prisoners. 
like they should be arrested. Because he, again, he misinterpreted what they were saying. So he ordered them to be taken as prisoner. And he said that start tying up their hands and, and lining them up as prisoners. And the moment that that started to happen, remember the conversation that had happened earlier, one of their leaders had said, no, we're not going to surrender because if we surrender, you're going to take us prisoner. And it was basically the conversation that the Banu Jadima had amongst themselves. They said, if we surrender, if we lay down our weapons, then we won't be taken prisoner. Just like it happened in Mecca, there will be peace. They'll, they'll give us amnesty. And they'll let us go. But when they started saying this, and Khalid got confused, and he said, tie him up. And then as soon as some sahaba came and started tying them up, then some of them started fighting back. And once they started fighting back, then obviously it becomes a very chaotic situation. And a few of their people, some of their people were actually killed. Because when they started fighting back, obviously, some, some of the Muslims, they drew the swords. Khalid said, defend yourselves. And some of those people of Banu Jadima, they were killed. And this was a very tragic, unfortunate situation that occurred. And when, when all of this was said and done, they came back to Mecca to the Prophet ﷺ, and they informed the Prophet ﷺ about what had happened, what had transpired. And the Prophet ﷺ, he did three things. Number one, as soon as the Prophet ﷺ heard the news that these were people, you went there, they laid down their weapons, fine, the confusion occurred, but then you took them as prisoner, and then obviously, because they felt like they had been lied to, they felt like they had been betrayed, they started resisting, and then once they resisted, they were killed. And particularly because they were saying Sabatna, Sabatna, the Prophet ﷺ interpreted properly for Khalid that many of these people that you ended up killing they were actually accepting Islam. They were proclaiming the fact that they were embracing Islam. So the Prophet ﷺ was so upset, and he was so distraught by this entire experience. The Prophet ﷺ, the narration says, The Prophet ﷺ raised his hands up to the sky. One of the narration mentions that he raised his hands up so high that like his hands were above his head where his like, armpits were all the way open, his, his, his hands were above his head. And he said, Allahumma inni abra'u ilayka mimma sana'a Khalid ibn al-Walid. Oh Allah, I am not responsible for what Khalid has done. I take no responsibility. I disavow the actions of Khalid. That he acted brashly. That he acted a little too um, hasty. He, he was a little too hasty in his action. He was a little too, maybe a little reckless in his behavior. Because the Prophet ﷺ always emphasized calmness, being calm, being collected, and really figuring out the situation. The Prophet ﷺ, there are numerous narrations and traditions, a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he, where he speaks about the evils of being very hasty and rushed in one's actions. Where the Prophet ﷺ said, "Al-Ujlatu min al-Shaytan," being very haste, haste, be, being very rushed in your uh, reactions is from Shaytan. But the Prophet ﷺ emphasized, be very deliberate, be very calm, be very collected, and be very thoughtful in the actions that you take. Be very, you know, uh, be very uh, thoughtful about what you're doing. 
Think it all the way through. Explore the entirety of the situation. The Prophet ﷺ, we talked to, uh, we'll, we'll be talking about it, when the tribe of uh, Abdul Qais, Wafdu Abdul Qais, when the people, the delegation of Abdul Qais would come to Medina to accept Islam, and the leader of the delegation of the tribe, Ashaj, he would take his time and he would, you know, secure the animals and, you know, pack up all the, 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 the luggage and he would change his clothes and take his time before coming into the masjid. The rest of the delegation just left their animals outside and ran into the masjid to meet the Prophet Good reason, good intention. But their leader, Ashaj, would take his time. When he would finally arrive, he would find that the Prophet ﷺ had not started, you know, talking to the rest of the delegation who was waiting quietly. And then he made room for Ashaj next to him. And then the Prophet ﷺ praised him by saying that you are a person, God has blessed you with two qualities that Allah loves very much. You have two qualities that are very beloved to God. Al-hilmu wal-anatu. You are very forbearing, very patient, and you are very deliberate and thoughtful in your actions. You're very calm, cool, and collected. And so there was some reprimand from the Prophet ﷺ here that he basically told Khalid anhu that instead of just reacting in that moment very brashly, you should have been a little bit more deliberate and you should have calmed down and calmed everyone down and figured out exactly what was going on. So the Prophet ﷺ was so distraught by it that reaction number one, the first thing the Prophet ﷺ did, he raised his hands up to the sky and he said, Allahumma inni abra'ulayka mimma sana'a Khalid ibn al-Walid. Oh Allah, I completely disavow the actions of Khalid. I can't take responsibility for that. And he asked Allah for forgiveness and protection for that. The second thing the Prophet ﷺ did was he inquired. He said that, هَلْ أَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ أَحَدٌ Didn't anyone try to tell Khalid not to do this? Didn't anyone try to tell Khalid not to do this? And this is the second lesson. So the first lesson here is, there were two lessons here, first and foremost. Obviously the emphasis upon being very calm, cool and collected. Calm everyone down, calm the situation down, and then figure out what exactly is going on. Do not react brashly. Do not react very, you know, uh, uh, very quickly. Like don't rush into action, but be very thoughtful and deliberate about what you're doing. And, and that's something that a lot of times in our day and age, we heap a lot of praise. We admire somebody who will just, you know, immediately take, you know, very drastic action. But the Prophet ﷺ said, that's not wisdom. That's not the way to do things. That's not a sustainable strategy on how to conduct things. But you have to be thoughtful and deliberate. The second thing is seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness immediately. The third lesson I wanted to emphasize here, the Prophet says, Didn't anyone try to reprimand him or rebuke him or stop him? Because the third lesson here is that this is why in the group, the Prophet says, Yadullahi ala al-jama'ah. Yadullahi ala al-jama'ah That the Prophet ﷺ says that the hand of God is over the group. La ummati ala dalal. The Prophet ﷺ said that my ummah will not collectively, my ummah will not gather upon misguidance. That, that's part of the blessing and the benefit of operating as an ummah, operating as a group, as, an, as a collective, as a community. We do not admire the lone wolf. We do not admire somebody who will go it alone. 
There's no glory, there's no greatness in that. Once again, from a worldly perspective, you know, the one-man wrecking crew, the Rambo, the commando is very, you know, admired, revered, glorified. We don't find any glorification in that. But rather, what we admire is being able to operate as a group, as a jama'ah, as an ummah, as a community. And so the Prophet ﷺ here is saying that that's the benefit of the group. You benefit from the group around you. When you fail in your judgment, you have your brothers and sisters around you who might be able to advise you in that situation. So, هَلْ أَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ أَحَدٌ So one of the people responded, نَعَمْ قَدْ أَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ رَجُلٌ أَبْيَضْ رِبَعَةٌ فَنَّهِمَهُ خَالِدٌ So somebody responded by saying, yes, one person who... And he describes a person because he did not know the name. He said kind of a middle, an average height person who had a very lighter complexion, uh, kind of a younger person, average height, lighter complexion. He ended up telling Khalid, Be, slow down, don't do this. And Khalid kind of brushed him aside and, and dismissed him. anhu, And then the person backed off because he didn't want to create more problems. وَأَنْكَرَ عَلَيْهِ رَجُلٌ آخَرٌ طَوِيلٌ مُطَّرِبٌ And the second, there was a second person who tried to step in and tried to, um, you know, stop Khalid from what he was doing. This was a very tall person and he says مُطَّرِب which basically what the language basically means is that he was kind of lanky. Like he's just trying to describe this person who answered the questions didn't know everyone by name. Maybe he was a newer Makkan Muslim. So he didn't know the person by name, so he kind of says that it was a very tall, kind of lanky um, person, tall, thin guy, and he tried to also step in. فَرَاجَعَهُ فَاشْتَدَّتْ مُرَاجَعَتُهُمَا And Khalid told him, step back. And he was very harsh with both of them, like step away. Umar ibn Khattab, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was there, he recognized who this person was talking about, and he had also you know, inquired about the situation. He said, أَمَّا الْأَوَّلِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ As for the first one, فَإِبْنِي عَبْدُ It was my son Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Umar. He tried to tell Khalid, slow down. And the second person was Salim, Mawla Abi Hudayfa. Another young man from the Muslims, his name was Salim. He was adopted by Abu Hudayfa and his wife Sahla. Their story is very famous. But Salim, the second Sahabi, he was this tall guy who basically tried to step in and tried to stop the situation. So that at least provided the Prophet ﷺ with the information that they were operating, that, that there were other people there who did try to step in, but the situation got out of hand. The third thing the Prophet ﷺ did now was ثُمَّ دَعَى Talib. The Prophet ﷺ called Ali ibn Abi Talib. Because now he needed somebody that, you know, who knew exactly what the Prophet ﷺ would want in this situation. So he called Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he said, Ya Ali, ukhruj ilaha ulayil qawm. Ali, I want you to go back out to those people, Bani Jadhima. Fanzur fi amrihim. Check what their situation is now. Waja'al amr al-jahiliyati tahta qadamayk. And he said, Basically, extinguish any of the attitudes and the behavior and the conduct of jahiliyyah. Which, that's a literal translation to kind of rephrase it so that it makes a little bit more sense. He said, go and handle things the way Islam has taught us to handle it. In jahiliyyah, things like this would happen. And the response a lot of times would be, you go out there and you further crush them, just so nobody would dare ever try to get any type of vengeance in the situation. But he said, go and handle things the way that I have taught you. The way that 
Allah and His Messenger have instructed you to. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he went out there and what he did was, فَخَرَجَ عَلِيٌّ حَتَّى جَاءَهُمْ وَمَعَهُ مَالٌ Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu went out there and the Prophet gave him a lot of, uh, the Prophet sent some funds, money. He sent funds and money with him. فَوَدَّى لَهُمُ الدِّمَاءَ وَمَا أُصِيبَ لَهُمْ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ the, the Ali radiallahu ta'ala went out there and found out, okay, who were the individuals that were wrongfully killed in this situation? It was again, it wasn't a deliberate murder, it was a situation that got out of hand. So the course of action in that regard is that you console the families and you also offer retribution to the families financially. So he said, okay, who were the individuals that were killed in this accident, in this situation? When he found out, he offered them, uh, he basically comp- provided that retribution to them. And, and any destruction of property that had happened, he also compensated them for any destruction of property as well. So much so that after he had taken care of everyone, then he further inquired again. He asked them, هَلْ بَقِيَ لَكُمْ دَمُنَ وَمَالٌ لَمْ يُوْدَ لَكُمْ Does anyone have any other complaints that have not been handled? And they responded by saying, لا, No, you have taken good care of us, you have apologized, you have taken care of the families of those who lost something or someone, and you've done right by us. Ali radiallahu ta'ala at that time he looked at what was left from the funds the Prophet had provided him with, and he saw that some funds were still left. Ali radiallahu ta'ala said, فَإِنِّي أُعْطِيكُمْ هَذِهِ الْبَقِيَّةِ مِنْ هَذَا الْمَالِ إِحْتِيَاتًا لِرَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ مِمَّا لَا نَعْلَمُ وَلَا تَعْلَمُونَ He said, the remaining funds that I have here, I'm going to hand over to your tribe as an extra gift to you from the Prophet because I might not realize something, you might not realize something, but the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ is there. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ would have done in this situation. So I'm going to give you whatever is left over as well as an extra just gift from the Prophet ﷺ. And he handed it to them. When he came back to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ asked him, how did everything go? And he informed him, look, I found out who were the deceased I offered the retribution, I gave the retribution to the families. I found out about any destruction of property. I compensated those people. There were some funds that were left. And then I further distributed that as a gift amongst the people as well. The Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, Asabta wa ahsanta. He said, you did right and you did good. That's what I'd like to see. Then the Prophet ﷺ, again, he stood up, he faced towards the qibla. He raised his hands up, as it mentions again, that so much so that you could see under the arms of the Prophet ﷺ. And again, the Prophet ﷺ three times made the dua, Allahumma inni abra'u ilayka mimma sana'a Khalid ibn al-Walid. Oh Allah, I ask you to absolve me. And I disavow the actions of Khalid. And so this was something that transpired there at the time of Fatuh Makkah, and it's a very notable incident for the obvious reasons as we mentioned. That number one, it illustrates to us that obviously in a time of, in a situation of war, in a situation of confusion and conflict, accidents will happen, bad things do occur. It's human nature. To err is human. كُلُّ بَنِيَادُمَ خَطَّ Every human being makes mistakes. But the important thing is that how are those mistakes handled? How are those situations resolved? 
The Prophet ﷺ did not make excuses. The Prophet ﷺ did not try to cover up the situation. The Prophet ﷺ did not take it even further. The Prophet ﷺ immediately reprimanded Khalid. He asked Allah for forgiveness. The Prophet ﷺ then checked with the group to make sure that the group that was with Khalid realized that this should not have gone down this way. And then the Prophet ﷺ took care of the people who were wronged. And this was the reason why the Prophet ﷺ had the impact that he had. This is why the Prophet ﷺ was so revered and respected and beloved. Because of that honesty and that integrity and that, that, that remarkable character of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is a, a, a notable incident that occurred at that particular time. And then um, going forward inshallah, we'll be talking about some of the other, uh, you know, just kind of progressing forward towards some of the other major events that unfolded at this time. One of the things I wanted to mention was, how long did the Prophet ﷺ remain in the city of Mecca when he came for the conquest of Mecca? So they arrived near the middle of the month of Ramadan. And the Prophet ﷺ spent the remainder of the month of Ramadan there in the city of Mecca. There are different narrations to different effects. Um, some of the narrations mention 18 days, some mention 19 days. Either way, they remained there for a little more than half the month, the remainder of the month of Ramadan. Now, the reason why that's a little curious, and this is going to get into some technical issues, but I don't want us to get bogged down into like a detailed fiqh uh, discussion but the Prophet ﷺ, the thing that's noted, there's no difference of opinion. The Prophet ﷺ, the remainder of the month that he stayed in the city of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ shortened the prayers as a traveler does. And secondly, the Prophet ﷺ did not fast the remainder of the month of Ramadan. But he made up those fasts later on because a traveler is allowed to not fast on those days of Ramadan and make them up on another day. And the Prophet ﷺ did that which tells us a couple of different things. First and foremost is the fact that Mecca was the original hometown of the Prophet ﷺ. But the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was shortening the prayer, was also uh, not fasting on those days, tells you that the Prophet ﷺ considered Medina to be his home. He considered Medina to be his home, and we talked about this earlier. The second thing is that the different schools of thought, the different schools of fiqh, you know, some of them are of the opinion that up to three days, some say up to four days, and then like uh, some of uh, one of the schools of thought of Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala, they say up to 15 days prayers can be shortened and a person is considered a traveler. This is obviously 18, 19 days. So how are they still shortening the prayers? Well, that is when somebody has a pre made plan that they are going to be staying somewhere for longer than 15 days. This situation was not exactly that. They arrived into Mecca not knowing exactly what to expect and what would happen and transpire. And they were remaining in Mecca until the situation was revolved, resolved and all the different situations were handled. So due to that, because it was kind of a day-to-day type of thing, they were just assessing the situation and handling things as they were going along. So whenever that ends up being the nature of one's stay, where somebody could be departing at any time, that person remains in a state of perpetually being considered a musafir, a traveler. As there is a narration from the Prophet ﷺ as well, or Abu Hurairah who mentions this, that even if somebody would, were to end up spending 10 years in a place where it was just kind of a day-to-day type of thing, then that person basically would remain in the status of being a traveler. And the really remarkable thing about that, the lesson in that is, that is the facilitation and the ease that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, the practicality that Allah has instituted within our religion. 
Allah in the Quran says, Allah wants to facilitate your spirituality for you, not cumber you, burden you with your spirituality. The Prophet in an authentic narration says, whenever the Prophet that whenever the Prophet was given the option between two legitimate courses of action, the Prophet always took the more practical course of action. And so a lot of times, God does not burden any soul beyond that soul's capacity. So the first reflection that we take from that is, everything that Allah has commanded to do is within our capacity. When I feel that something that Allah has commanded me to do is outside of my capacity, that is a shortcoming in my understanding. I need to realize that no, this is something Allah has made possible for me. But on the second thing that we get from that is, a lot of times there are concessions and practicalities built into our religion that we're not aware of. That we're not educated about. So if somebody has a bad back or an injured leg, and they're having trouble standing and praying, and that person is trying to stand and pray despite feel, you know, having such terrible pain, and they feel like this is impossible, this is too difficult, it's just a matter of the fact that they don't realize, they don't understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet has taught us that if you can't stand and pray, you can sit and pray. But that person doesn't know that. And so then that person might walk away with the understanding that, or somebody else might look at that person and think that this religion is not very practical. But no, in fact it is practical, it's a lack of our own knowledge and a lack of our understanding. So it's very important to educate ourselves about our deen and religion and learn about the beauty. How our deen, our religion has such a beautiful practicality and pragmatism and, and, and um, you know, uh, has such a beautiful design to it that no matter what the situation is, we can practice our deen and religion at all times. Even when we're traveling, even when the Muslims found themselves in very difficult situations like in, co- in conflict and in war, the religion was still practical. They could still practice their religion. So inshallah with that we'll conclude here and then we'll continue on forward inshallah with some of the more lessons of the conquest of Mecca. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiruka wa natubu ilayk.